When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Today, Tim Poole. He's amazing. Do you know this guy? He's like the hardest working guy on YouTube. And he's a he's a citizen journalist. I mean, he's worked for the big conglomerates, but now he's on his own and he's killing it. He's got tons and tons, millions of followers on YouTube. Uh, his podcast is killing it. He, he was on Joe Rogan not long ago. He's the guy who cross-examined the Twitter executives. Um, and just really put it to them about their censorship of conservatives, which he's not. But he sees the unfairness. He's just he's smart and he's interesting. and He's funny. He's on fire. So he's here. Yay. You're really going to enjoy him. Tim Poole, host of the Tim Cast IRL, Tim Cast and the Tim Poole Daily Show podcast, too. That's coming up right after this. Tim Poole, how's it going? Pretty good. Megan Kelly, great to, uh, well, at least digitally meet you. I know. Same. I'm excited for this conversation and I'm excited by what you do. Cool. That's <laughs> like you're you're like street journalist who's turned against the masters of the media, so-called masters, and you're killing it. I love it. Yeah, thank you. So it's funny. Let me tell you the first time I really understood your power when I was off in between launching this podcast and my NBC job. I met with YouTube a couple of times. They're very sweet. And they were saying, you know, there are a lot of people who are really doing a great job with news on YouTube and getting followers. And they mentioned you. And I'm like, well, who is Tim Pool? And I said, well, he's this guy in a beanie who posts like six times a day and he's got millions of followers. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, I follow him on Twitter. And you were, you're very popular in both places. And I, I get it now because I, I have since become a fan. I mean, I don't. I just, uh, I mean, I guess I do. I just complain on the internet, I suppose. But I don't know, people like it, I guess. They do. Well, you're very, you're very cogent. You're like very good at saying how you feel in a way that is clear and concise and easy to understand. And such that I was surprised to learn you hadn't been doing, a, you know, some long career in communications prior to becoming a de facto journalist. No, I think I actually had a bigger advantage than communications. I was a nonprofit fundraiser for on and off for about a year and a half, two years. And uh, I worked for some of the biggest nonprofits. So when your job is to be persuasive and communicate clearly and quickly to you know random people either at events or on the street i got pretty good at it i guess had to mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. in order to make money you know and so then when i started doing you know i went to occupy wall street started live streaming and stuff i guess it just worked out 
It certainly did. And, and really raised your profile in a way like nothing else other than your cross-examination of the Twitter executives. It was Jack Dorsey himself on Joe Rogan, along with his right-hand woman, uh, whose name I don't remember, forgive me. And Vijaya got it. Okay, there you go. And you were there wanting answers. And, and I just want our audience to understand, I'm sure they know you, but you're a liberal. You are, this is not Tucker Carlson going on with Joe Rogan asking these qu- questions, but you noticed a bias, a bias in media, a bias on Twitter, and that they always seem to be silencing the same side, right? I mean, was this something was, that was well established in your mind prior to that cross-examination? Yeah, of course. I think, you know, to, to clarify in the liberal position too, I don't even know if these words mean anything, right? Because I, 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 I used to watch Bill Maher all the time. And I, Megan, I didn't watch your show. I watched, you know, Real Time with Bill Maher, Jon Stewart. My political positions always aligned pretty closely to like moderate traditional liberals. But I don't, I, look, conservatives will call me a leftist and the left will call me far right or conservative. So mm-hmm. I don't even know what this means anymore. But I will say, I know. If, if, if you're honestly looking at the, the news, because I'm reading mainstream corporate press I'm watching Fox and CNN. I'm reading, you know, The Examiner and Breitbart because I'm trying to see what people are saying. What's their evidence? It was very obvious if you're being honest, because the story about conservative censorship was actually broken by Gizmodo in May of 2018. So I'm sitting here and I'm reading a leftist publication, Gizmodo, say Facebook staff were removing conservative news outlets. And I said, wow, that's that's kind of crazy. Why would they do that? Then when I started saying, yeah, we we know this is true because it was actually corporate digital outlets that were reporting on this, for some reason, it became untrue among the mainstream press. And I don't quite understand why. So it's the, the whole story about the Joe Rogan podcast with Jack Dorsey, is, it's really fascinating. Because what had happened was I had commented on YouTube, I had a much smaller following on YouTube. I commented on the Joe Rogan Jack Dorsey podcast. And it automatically got flagged by Joe's company for copyright, because I showed a still oh. of it. And so I reached out to Joe. I was like, hey, could you like remove that? That's, you know, kind of messed up. And he was like, oh man, that's, that's was an automatic thing. You know, you know, I'm so sorry. But then he watched my commentary and I guess Joe listened to what I had to say. And he was like, oh, this dude knows a ton about what's going on with this. And then we had a conversation. Then Joe invited me on his show. And then after the first episode, he's like, don't tell anybody. I want you to come on with Jack Dorsey again so that you can kind of have this conversation that, you know, I'm not as well versed in. And then I guess it ended up becoming, uh, you know, interestingly, there were some other writers, leftists who said it was one of the most culturally significant things to happen, you know, in the past few years. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it made so much news and it was so exciting to watch. Um, I'm going to play a clip of it in a second, but I, I wanted to say, I understand your point about not understanding your party. I mean, I look at who do I, who do I like for information? Who do I feel aligned with, you know, from a journalistic perspective? I love Matt Taibbi. I, I love Barry Weiss. Yes. I like a, a lot of what Andrew Sullivan writes. I love Tucker. I love Victor Davis Hanson. I go to Brett Baer. I'm so confused. I don't know what any of that makes me, right? Well, I supported Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang early on, and then was really, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big fan of Tulsi even to this day. But I ended up voting for Trump because I don't know I don't understand what it is the Democrats are representing or what the progressives wanted out of what was going on. Yeah. I want to get into your politics in a second because I think yeah. it's interesting because you had some said some stuff about the Kyle Rittenhouse situation that I thought were really interesting. Okay, but mm-hmm. let's get back to Twitter because 
I mean, look, I realize it's easy to hate Twitter and there are things I love about Twitter and I'm sure you do too, but there's no question that it is a left leaning organization and their, their bias is clearly toward the progressives. So you get the chance that we would all love to have, which is actually to put it right to them. And let's listen. Your platform restricts speech. Our platform promotes speech unless people violate our rules. And in a specific direction. In any direction. But Uncle, I don't want to say his name, the guy who calls for death gets a suspension. The guy who insinuates death gets a permanent ban. But Tim, you're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. And I feel like you're doing it deliberately. It's not about one particular thing. It's about a pattern and practice of violating our rules. And you have a pattern and practice of banning only one faction of people. I don't agree with that. Quillette recently published an article where they looked at 22 high-profile bannings from 2015 and found 21 of them were only on one side of the cultural debate. But I don't look at the political spectrum of people when I'm looking at their tweets. Right. You you have a bias. I don't know who they are. You're biased and you're you're targeting specific individuals because your rules support this perspective. Well done. That's exactly it. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly the, I, it. Did she did she ever see the light? She did on the on the episode. It was it was fascinating. But I, I don't I don't know if she necessarily saw the light the way we would describe it, but the the main point that I brought up in their rules being biased, because Jack he, it seemed like he took offense to it when I said your rules are biased. He said, no, they're not. What I genuinely think Jack and Vijaya did not understand is that one of the rules of Twitter is the misgendering policy. Just watch yeah. a Ben Shapiro clip. Ben Shapiro's worldview, the conservative worldview, is that if someone is born biologically male, their pronouns are he, him. The progressive worldview is that you choose your pronouns. So if we were going to have an honest discussion about what it means to misgender, there's two predominant views and they disagree with each other. If Twitter says we are enforcing only the progressive worldview, then the rules are biased against conservatives. And I think like, I think Jack genuinely didn't realize that. And I said it to him and they kind of looked like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I think Vijaya's response was, thank you for your feedback. And that was a point where she stopped, you know, that, that pushback of saying you, you're misinterpreting or things like that. I think they genuinely understood, oh, we do that, don't we? And then they just carried on doing it. And so, look, I've, <laughs> exactly. I've, 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 I've talked with Jack over the years, and I think he's a nice guy, but I do not trust him. He's routinely talked about wanting to do all of these really great things that he's never done. You know, he's, he's talked about a path to redemption, people who are permanently suspended. They've, ne- they've never introduced that. In fact, they've only made the rules more strict and, and, and worse. I think, I think what's happening now on Twitter is worse than it's ever been. Because yes. now Twitter itself is issuing direct statements on people's tweets. So for instance, I tweeted recently rather, you know, in a snarky manner about the Time Magazine article about the 20, was it the 2020 shadow campaign to save the election or whatever. And, and I said, Time Magazine has said a cabal of elites fortified the election, et cetera. Twitter disabled the tweet and then claimed what I said was in dispute when I was, hmm. I mean, the Time Magazine article actually says the word wealthy cabal of elites, conspiracy, all of those things. And I was like mocking Time Magazine for this article. They claimed that my tweet was in dispute and could lead to violence. So they disabled this. Now, in my, I, I view that as a false statement of fact. What I tweeted was not in dispute. I was literally citing Time Magazine. I didn't say it was true. I said Time Magazine claimed. So for Twitter to then make that statement, it's well beyond just banning someone. They're actually issuing their own speech as a corporation. And I take issue with that. Now, the question is whether anybody really wants to sue Twitter for defamation for issuing false statements of fact. I'm not sure. And and this may be the problem if people on the right or on this side of the debate are willing to step up and do it. 
I guess so long as they aren't willing to do it, it'll just keep happening. So maybe I will have to sue. But I mean, even saying that right away already weakens my position. So it probably wouldn't happen. Well, and you know, it's like if you're a public figure, which you would be considered, you, you can't win with defamation suit. I mean, that's really just the bottom line. You can't. When people say like, well, why don't you sue if they printed lies about you? Just take a look at the jurisprudence on public figures trying to sue for defamation. You you can't win. Um, yeah. But in, yeah, certainly you, you, in this situation, you can't. You have to prove that they knew what they were saying was false. And I think there's there's still an important aspect of a lawsuit in this regard. They use an algorithm to automatically do a lot of this work. So I wonder what the defamation laws, what the precedent would be, because maybe I could say, I don't think it's it's called actual malice. And that doesn't mean, you know, ill intent. It means not knowledge or or doubt. So if the defaming party knows for a fact what they're saying is false, that would be considered actual malice. I wonder what the judge would rule if it's a robot that did it. Because maybe that's reckless disregard, having a machine just randomly defame people. Maybe that might negate it. I'm not sure. Mm, don't count on it. I mean, I like how we're, right. we're such a, you know, we give a wide berth when it comes to free speech in this country and when it comes to the First Amendment. So it'd be somewhat ironic if their free speech and canceling somebody else's free speech is the beneficiary of that berth. But that's that's where we're going. Just just a couple of days ago, Stephen Crowder got his tweet booted off the Internet because he actually went and did a little investigation on some of the addresses that had been registered to vote in the last presidential election and found nobody's li- there. Nobody lives there. You know, I Parking saw you lots. tweet about this. Right. And so that's actual journalism. That's what we used to call journalism. Let's go check it out. He didn't say it's Kraken or Dominion in any of that stuff. And that was too much for Twitter, at least for a day or so. Oh, yeah. This was brilliant on Crowder's part because the statement Twitter issued, they said this tweet about election fraud or voter fraud is in dis- is disputed and, you know, is disabled, whatever. But what's brilliant about that is no one disputed Crowder's claim. Now, I, I have not independently verified Crowder's investigation. He sent some people with newspapers from this week to show you the date and show you the parking lots where there's no buildings and no, no apartments where people can't possibly live. So what would need to happen is in order for Twitter to issue that statement of fact that it's in dispute, there would have to have been some kind of dispute where someone said, here's why that's not true, but that never happened. And so the, so this is where it gets interesting. Crowder, Crowder stated he's not going to sue. I wonder if he should because... Twitter putting that 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 statement on his tweet is a statement from Twitter claiming there's a dispute that has not happened. If a mm-hmm. journalist co- tr- wants to come out and claim that Crowder's investigation was false, well, then I would say that's a fair to make the statement. I think I think Twitter defamed Crowder in that regard. Mm. You know, somebody's going to have to make an example out of them because we're certainly not going to win based on moral shaming. I mean, to your point earlier, they listened they said, hmm, these are good points, Tim. And then they went and not only doubled, but tripled down. Now Trump's off Twitter. The Hunter Biden story got suppressed. Anything that mentions yep. voter fraud at a minimum gets flagged and more than likely gets banned. And one wonders how far it can go. Well, I, I wonder when someone like Trump is going to actually step up and just join a competing platform. You know, we hear often that why don't you start your own social network and do things like that? Now, I understand Parler was was taken off by these big tech companies. They're definitely putting putting their thumb on the scale and pushing their weight against conservatives or just any, you know, anti-establishment or non-mainstream platform. But if Trump joined any of these other platforms, it would cause a massive migration and it would force these media outlets, these journalists to cover what he is saying. I don't know if he still has that power. He's not the president anymore. I think he still does, but he doesn't do it. 
And, you know, and for all these other very wealthy people who complain about the fake news and the, and the media lies, I wonder why they're not funding journalism. They're, they're kind of just complaining about it. They have the resources to do it, but they don't. Mm, I do think these other platforms are in the works and are going to come come up over the next year or two, because I do think the, the way the Trump presidency ended. Let's put aside the Capitol Hill riot, um, the, the reaction to on the free speech grounds, you know, on online and, and just everywhere, you know, with with these now activists trying to pull Fox News off the air and so on, has really scared and shaken people on the right and just free speech advocates because it's it's anti-constitutional. I mean, it really is. It's, oh, yeah. People don't understand. This is one of the bedrocks of our entire country, the, the ability to say controversial things that people can't stand. I bet if you did a poll of college students and said, is hate speech unconstitutional? Over 60 percent of them would say yes, that they think oh, hate speech is banned. Right. And like I that, th- like Chris that- Cuomo does at CNN. He actually said that he put it in writing and said it. And he's a lawyer. Yeah, it was really funny when that that uh, young guy went viral where uh, I think it was Chris Cuomo said, who said that protests have to be peaceful? And then the guy's like, it's right there in the First Amendment. Maybe you just have to read it. But in that regard, <laughs> when it comes to hate speech, maybe he should just read the First Amendment, too. Well, it's funny because I got I got all over him on that. Like, are you some sort of a moron? What did you actually go to law school? Did you ever practice <laughs> law? This is like, moron. <laughs> that, that it's, it kind of exists to protect speech that others might consider hateful, right? It's like you always say, it's, it's there to, to protect not speech you like, but speech you don't like. The, the speech you love, no one's going to try to cancel that. But now we've gotten to a place where we, you know, we all have these glasses on. We can see the exact same statement as hateful or loving, depending on what side of the political aisle we're on, which is why the First Amendment is more important than it's ever been. We should be bending over backwards to platform as many individuals yeah. as possible. And we were kind of doing that as the Internet exploded, as people like Tim Pool found a way of like directly reaching an audience. And I just think the overcorrection as a result of the Capitol Hill riot, of course, not because of any of the BLM riots, but the Capitol Hill riot. Right. It has gotten well, so- into a dangerous place. One of the scariest things I think I've seen as of recent was a, a, a leaked video from Project Veritas of executives at Salesforce, which is one of the biggest companies in the world, managing over 150,000 clients, customer relations in this video saying, you know, certain speech like from President Trump at the RNC, they're not going to allow. So I'll, I'll try and make it a little bit more specific. They said, we're not going to allow speech that has the potential to incite violence, not speech that does incite, but has the potential to. And they oh, wow. specifically reference the RNC and anything Trump might say and anything you might say about election integrity. Salesforce did not respond, threatening to, to essentially fire their, their, their clients when we saw a billion to two billion dollars in damages from Black Lives Matter riots. And mind you, uh, riots, mind you, the, se- the, the sentiment that drove those riots was based off of misinformation or at least misconceptions. There's a really interesting set of data that was just released by, uh, I think it's Skeptic Magazine. Zach Goldberg tweeted this out. If you ask liberals how many unarmed or how many black people were killed by police, the plurality says over 1,000 in 2019. And the actual number, I think, is like 23 or 27. Now, each and every one of those deaths is abhorrent and horrifying. I definitely think there needs to be accountability for that. But when these people think that 1,000 people were killed, you know, innocent people, I can understand why they're angry. If Salesforce thinks that banning Trump supporters and they, and they did announce, uh, Veritas announced they got severed from Salesforce because it's a potential to incite violence. The fact that they're not looking at two billion dollars in damage, and it's more than that, probably it's just two billion dollars in insurance payments from misinformation around Black Lives Matter. 
means that going forward in the future, I think this may be one of the most serious acts of tech censorship we're ever going to see because Salesforce will now shutter entire companies who dare speak in a certain way while they're not going after left-wing ideology. Mm. That just, it, it's just going to, it's, it's going to hobble right-wing ideology. Like this is why those of us who are committed to the facts and, and I really have no dog in this hunt. You know, it's, it's like, what are the facts? If, if the cops are bad and are abusing their power, let's go there and let's fix it. And no one's, no one's arguing that all cops are good. There's no need for any reform. Um, but if this is a media created illusion, then we need to get honest about that too. That's why I look at people like smart people like Coleman Hughes, who is a, he's a liberal. Yes. This guy's, he is a liberal, but he's a black man, but he's an honest intellectual who took a look at the data. And this is what Coleman said. And this is what I happen to believe too, that there is a problem with police roughing up black suspects more than they would white, but there isn't a problem of police hunting black men in the street or, or sh shooting black men at a rate that is disproportionate, not just to their population, because that's not the only relevant factor, but to the crime rate, their crime rate. And we got to get honest about why the crime rate is what it is. Already, you got yeah. people going racist, racist, right? It's so hard to have the conversations. Yep. Yeah. Well, then it leads to to riots. It, le it leads to people who have found a, a way to manipulate into gaining power. I think, you know what I think? I think our problem is, Megan, I think that you're being honest. I think that you're looking at the facts. I think to the best of our abilities, we're trying to understand the world and explain what's going on to people. We don't know everything, and, and not just you or I, but and, you know Ben Shapiro. We, we don't read every single news outlet. We don't re read every single story or every perspective, but we try to understand to the best of our abilities and explain our worldviews. When you're honest, but you're going up against people who are not honest, you're at a very, very serious disadvantage. There are people, there are news outlets, you know, I recently got uh, smeared by Pointer Institute. They falsely framed a tweet of mine. And what can I do? They use clever Wait, just, language just to, to get just around. Just to interrupt for one second. So Pointer, by some in, in the media, is considered like the god of journalism. They will be the final arbiter on what is and is not journalism. It is a far left organization. L let me give you a hint. They think everything anybody at Fox has ever done is disgusting and that they shouldn't be by that they shouldn't be journalists at all. And everything said on it, CNN and MSNBC is correct. And those are the truth tellers. Go ahead. Keep yeah, going. And, and, and Pointer runs the I think it's called the International Fact Checkers Network, which determines what organization is allowed to be a fact checker on Facebook. They, so I, I, I had that snarky tweet I mentioned about Time magazine. They used clever words. They said in a post from controversial YouTuber, Tim Pool, which said the election was rigged. The tweet didn't say that, and it was a joke anyway, but they do that in a, in a, in a way to, cir to circumvent defamation laws. They say, oh, but we didn't say Tim said it. We said the post said it, and it alluded, and so they get around it. They, they, you know, they, they use trickery and weasel words. The, the, they have the ability to fact check what I say, and they do it in and a dishonest way. And they use the system and its rules and loopholes to get around responsibility and accountability. I would never do that. I would not come out and say, you know, so-and-so at the Pointer Institute did something they did not do. And that means if we're playing fairly and they're not, well, then they can keep tricking people and, and they can use that deception to gain power for themselves. And they've put themselves in pretty prominent positions. I actually had, this is amazing, Media Matters for America. This is a left-wing publication 
that essentially just goes after you know people like you, Megan, or Tucker Carlson, people mm-hmm. like me. Now I'm 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 called by many people fairly milk toast. We had a video from my from my podcast uh, Timcast IRL where our guest Jack Murphy said he said that Donald Trump presented concrete examples of uh, evidence of voter fraud. He didn't say they were it was legitimate proof of voter fraud. He didn't say it proves there was voter fraud. He said Trump gave examples of concrete examples of voter fraud. That's an abstract. Media Matters publishes this article claiming that you know we're pushing fraud or whatever, which is totally absurd, and then claims that our ads have been removed. I checked our podcast and the ads were still there. And so I don't I don't know you know, why they're targeting us for having a legitimate conversation. And we never asserted what they, what they tried to alert, allude to that we were asserting. It seems more like the intention is either just to write something that gets views or to cause economic damage to political ideas or conversations they don't like. At, at any rate, it's a, it's a dishonest attempt, in my opinion, to win a political battle. And again, I look at what, uh, you know, Donald Trump files an appeal with Facebook asking for his account back. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. And if it does, why would you do that? They've been abusing you and, and, and defaming you, blocking your tweets, blocking your posts. Trump needs to go and make his own thing or join something else. I, I agree yep. with what you said earlier that it's coming. And so I, I hope so. I certainly do. More with Tim in one second. We're going to talk about what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and his take on Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old who went there that night to try to protect the businesses and the people, but wound up shooting three people. And he's now facing murder charges, this kid is. Tim's got a very different view of what Kyle did that night uh, and does not see him as any sort of a villain. We'll talk about it and we'll talk about why it was that incident that made Tim wind up voting for Donald Trump. That's next. Even that word controversial to describe you like that. They (laughs) they only use that word for people who don't toe the leftist line. I never see them talk about Don Lemon by saying controversial TV host Don Lemon, right? They don't do that. They only if you won't say exactly what they want you to say about these issues, you get that label. Yeah. And Don Lemon's infinitely more controversial than I am. I mean, the guy got sued for, you know, assaulting some guy or something like that. Or, or you know, I don't remember the, remember the exact story. Let me repeat it, because I, oh. I, I just think since no one else is going to report it, I will keep reporting it until somebody pays attention to it, because I've seen a lot of my colleagues in the news, male colleagues dra- dragged through the mud by CNN when so much as a whiff of an allegation gets hurled against them. But they're one of their lead news anchors has a, a case like this come against him and bubkiss. And it's not just CNN. It's the people who write about CNN who would never mention this about Don Lemon. He was accused of a couple summers ago being in a bar in the Hamptons and sticking his hands down his own pants and underwear, fondling his own genitals and then rubbing his fingers around the face of a strange man, of another man who Yikes. he, Don, thought wanted to s- sleep with him. And that man has sued him, claiming this was an assault. And the man has an eyewitness who was a bartender in the bar who has independently said he saw the whole thing. He at first laughed. He didn't realize that this man had been traumatized um, and then realized that actually, no, this wasn't this wasn't a desired or funny situation at all. And this isn't like a buddy of the accuser. This is an independent third witness. And no one writes about it. Don yeah. Lemon doesn't get the C word well, in front of his name. It's outrageous. 
I don't even know what controversy I've been involved in. I mean, you can dislike my opinions. You can call me a liar and a grifter or whatever you want, but I'm basically just sitting in my room talking about my feelings. I'm not at a bar. <laughs> I'm not at political events. I'm not running for office. You know, uh, Chris Cuomo pretended to be under quarantine. That was a controversy. He got called out for it. Even the New York Times, Ben Smith said that it was, I, I don't know exactly his, his exact quote, but it was strange to see CNN eliding this controversy where Cuomo comes out of his basement acting as though he's just finally been released from quarantine, even though there's a witness and according to Cuomo's own statement, he had left his house like a week earlier to go to one of his properties in the Hamptons and got into an argument with some guy on a bike. He was certainly not under quarantine. Now that's a controversy. That was huge news. There's, there's, there's never anything about me. I, I, I'm just, I'm often bewildered by many of these, uh, you know, organizations attempts to smear and defame me because I'm not even like Tucker issuing these very strong opinions about policy or I, no. I, I people call me milk toast and I'm like, why are you <laughs> mad at me? Like we didn't, we didn't say you the election like the was guy with the beanie. <laughs> yeah. the beanie. Now, wait, can I tell you, I'll give you another example. So, you know, of course, I left NBC after I had the nerve to say on the air, like eh, back when I was growing up, people like the blackface thing wasn't such a that big deal insane. if you were dressed as a character. Right. Yeah. So they, of course, made it into a huge deal. And everybody knows what happened to this day. When you get a publication like The Times or USA Today writing something about me, they put this in there. She it always ends. It could be about like Megyn Kelly launched a podcast or Megyn Kelly made news with Tulsi Gabbard, whoever it is. And they'll they'll bring you my news. And then they always feel the need to end the article with she left NBC under a cloud after she said this controversial stuff. Now, do I see them mentioning the fact that Jimmy Kimmel wore minstrel show blackface on his show that Sarah Silverman, whenever they write about her, do they include her minstrel show blackface right. and for which he barely apologized? He begrudgingly uh, not to mention. Jimmy Fallon. I mean, I could go down the list. Ted Danson. Yeah. Everybody. Are you mentioning that at the end of their articles when you write things about them? Or is it just Megyn Kelly, who never wore blackface, but just happened to say back in the 70s and 80s, it was a different standard. I get it. So this is what they do. It's subtle, but like controversial Tim Pool bothers me because they're tr it's, a, it's, a, it's an attempt to besmirch you. They think yeah, it is. Po it's poisoning the well. Before they even get into what's going on, they will controversial. There you go. It's, it's the best they can do. I love it when they try and call me right wing because like no right wing person thinks I'm right wing and <laughs> it, it, whatever. Right wing people call me liberal, but I think I'd be liberal based on like 2010 standards. You know, I voted yeah. for Obama in 2008. I don't know where I'm at now because I did vote for Trump because I think whatever's going on politically, everything's kind of falling apart. And I thought Trump had had more to offer. But well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah I know good. you said that the Kyle Rittenhouse thing and it was after the, the Jacob Blake shooting, which we now know was justified. The police were dealing with a man who was armed with a knife and they shot him. And it was, it was yeah. a tragedy. And he had assaulted he had, that woman. Yeah, he had assaulted a woman. He had, he had a committed a digital rape on his girlfriend with his children there. His children were also in the car. He was violating restraining order. He resisted arrest. He tried to get the police's weapons. Um, and then he had a knife. Then he pulled a knife, which will get you shot pretty much every time, no matter he, your skin color even, with cops. He even said later, I shouldn't have grabbed the knife. Yeah. And and of course, the media refused to do a mea culpa on their reporting, yeah. which directly led to the riots that night. I mean, when it was going down, Tim, I tweeted out, I'm like, hey, there's a report saying he was armed with a knife. You know what I got? You're a racist. Well, fuck you. I'm trying yep. to report the news. Maybe you should take a minute to go look at what I reported because it turned out to be 100% true. And you could have saved Kenosha and the residents, including many black 
residents and business owners a lot of heartache and harm if you had tried to find the damn facts. Okay, so yeah. So Kenosha, Wisconsin happens, days of riots, and Kyle Rittenhouse is this, I mean, he's let's let's face it, you know, what I think well-meaning but misguided 17-year-old who takes his gun and tries to go protect businesses and winds up shooting three people who it does look like to me it was self-defense. We'll see it play out in court. But, you know, putting himself in the middle of it in the first place was not a good idea. But what was it about that situation that made you say, I'm voting for Trump? Well, I had uh, this this thread that I wrote. I just, you know, I, I tweet things that I feel. And then Donald Trump actually liked it and made it, it, it essentially pinned it to his profile. So that generated oh. a lot of press attention. Yeah, it was there for a while. And some journalists asked about it. They never said my name, though. It's almost like they want to avoid talking about me because, look, I'm somebody who I supported Bernie in 2016. And these a lot of progressives don't want to accept that I did. But a lot of Bernie supporters switched for Trump. I didn't vote for Trump in 2016. So I don't I don't remember exactly what I wrote in my Twitter thread, but I'll tell you my feelings on it now. And I've actually interviewed several of the people who are witnesses to what happened, as well as Richie McGinnis, who tend who, who rendered aid to the guy who got shot, the first guy. That's right. Let me just tell our um, tell our audience. Richie McGinnis is the the journalist. He's the he's a photojournalist with The Daily Caller who works with Shelby Talcott, who we just had on the show talking about her experience covering the same event. And so our audience should that name Richie McGinnis should be familiar to them. But go ahead. So Kyle Rittenhouse worked in Kenosha. I see the media saying he crossed state lines with a gun. Well, I'm from Chicago, okay? Where Kyle Rittenhouse, I believe, lived in Antioch. It's like a 20-minute car ride to Kenosha. It's like, it's, 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 it's a suburb. And he worked in Kenosha. So my understanding is that he was there. Someone else lent him a rifle. The, the, they, I, mean, it was, I, I don't think it wasn't AR-15 specifically, AR-15 style, whatever they want to call it. And there's interesting questions about whether he was misguided or not. I initially said I thought he shouldn't have been there until I heard from Richie McGinnis. And that kind of changed my opinion. But that was well after the fact. I looked at these riots happening across the country. And I remember earlier earlier this year, or I'm sorry, earlier last year, I said, no guns. I don't want any guns. No guns in my house. Not going to do it. You know, I'm a liberal, all that stuff, whatever. And then when uh, COVID happened, I was like, maybe I should look into some kind of Mm -hmm. self-defense. When then the riots happened, I absolutely started going through the motions. I lived in New Jersey at the time, so it was rather difficult. And I was like, I'm getting a gun. I can't, I can't, you know, I, I, I heard, I'm sitting in, I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm across the river and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way the riots will affect me. Maybe it'll, it'll, you know, jam up some stores and cause some economic damage to the area, but they're not going to cross over to New Jersey. And then I remember one day I heard the helicopters and the sirens. And here I am in the suburbs on the other side of the river. They actually, the rioters marched across the, uh, across the bridge. And that's when I started getting worried. I remember getting a phone call from some family members talking about how they're 60 miles outside of Chicago. And for some reason, rioters showed up in their town and caused property damage. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. So now here I am this, you know, in January, I'm not going to buy any guns. Now I'm like, I got to go buy guns. And I started looking at everything because there was, there's nothing that can be done if these rioters show up. But what the Kyle Rittenhouse thing was really shocking. Because here's a guy who lives in an area I'm familiar with. I'm from Chicago. They, these rioters were burning down buildings and, and, and uh, you know, potentially going to kill people. And so here's this young guy who you can clearly see on camera running away, being attacked, and then defending himself. Mm-hmm. And they, the media lies and they demonize him. And I thought to myself, the, the, what we're seeing from the media, the manipulation, the disinformation, it's causing all this chaos. And I'm like, at this point, it's well beyond just owning a gun. 
Joe Biden is not strong enough. He will not deal with this. He is hiding in his basement while people are burning this country to the ground. And Donald Trump was pounding on the table saying, we need to stop this. And I thought to myself, it's very simple. Who, do I, who am I going to vote for? The coward or the guy who's demanding law enforcement shut down this violence? And, and, and look, whether you like Kyle Rittenhouse or not, three, uh, two, three people got shot, two people died. If we had listened to Donald Trump and sent in the National Guard before that happened, it, those people would never have died. So it's not about whether, you know, in, in, in the long story, you can hate Kyle Rittenhouse, you can defend those, those rioters, but if we, took, if, if we listened to the president, they would not have lost their lives. And I said, that just, that's it for me. Now, going back to, uh, you know, later on, I end up interviewing Richie McGinnis, and he was like, they were trying to push a flaming dumpster into a gas station. And Kyle Rittenhouse or one of his friends took a fire extinguisher and put the fire out. That's what caused these people to attack Kyle. When they first attacked him, Rittenhouse ran away. And the New York Times confirms this. The first guy who uh, got shot, Rosenbaum, was chasing after him. And then it was only after someone else fired a handgun, presumably into the air, that Kyle turned around and fired in absolute Mm self-defense. Then when Richie started tending to Rosenbaum, other people started gathering around and threatening Rittenhouse, who runs away. And Rittenhouse is on camera saying, I'm going to get help. I'm going to get the police. He did not go there trying to target anybody. He was trying to stop people from destroying property and, and essentially, you know, maybe even killing people. My view now, after talking to Richie, if he was not there, they, and they pushed that flaming dumpster into a gas station, they could have blown that place up. And how many people could have lost their lives? I don't know. I do know that Kyle put himself in a dangerous position. Perhaps he should not have done that. I'm worried, though, based on the footage I've seen and the witness testimony I've heard from not just Richie, but you mentioned Shelby, as well as, you know, Drew Hernandez and several other people. I wonder what would have happened and how many people would have lost their lives if they blew up a gas station. Would those would those people who are pushing the dumpster become victims of themselves? Would it would it have caused lingering damage to to the to the community and health effects? I don't know. I'm sad it happened. I'm sad, you know, at any loss of life. And it's and it's horrifying. But it was scary and, 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 and shocking to me that you actually have people trying to frame Kyle Rittenhouse as a white supremacist who took a gun from from across state lines and was hunting people down. And that is just the most insane interpretation. And it's an outright lie. And to your point, they don't talk about the, you know, maybe he was he wasn't even the match that lit the fire. But, you know, all the all sort of the, the, the paper and the and the logs on the fire were there because they had been telling the police to stand down these yep. cops and the cops were reticent to do anything anyway, because they'd been getting called white supremacists and racist and abusive in, in every paper in the country for for weeks. Um, and so no one was there to help a largely minority communities, not just in Kenosha, but elsewhere. And so there were citizens who felt like, well, it's up to me. How, who else is going to yep. protect them? And, and Donald Trump had been calling for the National Guard and it was rejected and several times in many different areas. So, you know, what we saw in Chaz in Seattle, the, the, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, there was a, a handful of guys who for 10 minutes were unloading rifles into a white SUV with two teenagers inside, killing them. And if these people just swallowed their pride and for once recognized Donald Trump, certainly imperfect, but he wasn't wrong about needing National Guard or DHS or somebody, law enforcement, to come in and shut it down. But they hated Trump so much that they were willing to watch all of this death and destruction. And to me, I was like, I've had it. We need somebody. Look, 
Trump is not the fascist they claim he is. He did not invoke the Insurrection Act. He did not send these, these you know, National Guard in without the authorization. He didn't do it. And so I'm sitting here thinking, here's a guy who's constrained saying, let me help you. Let me stop this. And they said, no. And he said, okay, it's your rights. It's your jurisdiction. I won't violate that. I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and and, and yeah. it's also the fault of the media, you know, the same media that wouldn't let Tom Cotton publish an op-ed or that they did. And then some guy got fired, Jim Bennett, um, saying, send in the troops like we need military out on the streets helping to restore order. Right. Like that was too offensive for The New York Times. Meanwhile, they let they let a defense of looting happen. They let a defense of the of the arsons and the dangerous situation. That was just fine. But but Cotton couldn't say it. Yeah, what did ahead. they do in D.C.? What, 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 what did they do in D.C. once the uh, the Trump supporters you know, were riding? 25,000 National Guard metal barricades. And according yep. to Ken Cuccinelli, Nancy Pelosi was requesting what she says were crew manned machine guns. I, I, I'm told the correct uh, term is crew serviced machine guns, but they denied her that. So when it's, you know, look, a, a couple thousand Trump supporters, and I think everybody agrees it was horrible what happened at the, on, on the 6th. It was r- ridiculous. It was dangerous. It was stupid. And people ended up dying. But you look at the reactions. You know, the Democrats say immediately 25,000 National Guard. Then they put these National Guardsmen in a, in a parking garage to sleep there, which my understanding is they still are. They put up these barricades. But when over a year across the country, you know, or over the course of a year, we're seeing hundreds of riots and billions in damages. In fact, Kamala Harris solicited donations to bail them out on Twitter. I know. So, I mean, look, to say well, double and standard and t- t- is- You know what, Tim? And that's so it's their asses on the line when they're in the Capitol, right? The lawmakers are sitting there. You know whose asses are on the line in all these protests? It's black people. Most of the time, these are black communities that are seeing their businesses get burned. Yeah, and this- somehow we're supposed to accept that this is empowerment for people of color to let other people. And it was, as we saw, a lot of these riots are white people yep. burn the businesses down. There was a guy, um, I can't remember which publication he worked for, but he was tweeting in support of the riot saying, this is amazing. Yay. And then he has a tweet where he's like, oh, no, they're coming to Beverly Hills where I leave. Don't come here or or, or, where I live. Don't come here. And I'm like, it's really funny about that. He said, go down, go to downtown L.A. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's where the the, the Mexican population, Latinos live. Yeah. You don't want them to cover coming, coming to rich white Beverly Hills. It's 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 disgusting. There was a there were rappers and and personalities in Atlanta who were saying, why are you burning down the black community? These are white, white Antifa progressives burning down black businesses. Hmm. Well, then you've got the media that that rush out to report after the Capitol Hill riot that Brian Sicknick, the police officer, was killed by these Trump supporters with a fire extinguisher. It was in the New yeah. York Times. I was like, okay, you know, I, I I realize the New York Times is biased, but they reported that like it was a fact, like it was a confirmed fact. And now we know that wasn't true. He wasn't. I fell for it. Me too. I, be- I, I, I believe the New York yeah. Times. Yep. And now I, we learn from his did. mother. It, it's not true that he he appears to have died from a stroke later that night back at home. Yeah, they're trying to now use some kind of uh, reductive reasoning that, well, certainly whatever led to the stroke was a contributing was contributed to by the, the conflict he was in. And it's like, you don't know that you they said he got he died of blunt force trauma to the head. He got hit. In the, it, it didn't happen. And I was I was real I was really angry. I, I remember recording when I heard the news, and I was like, you know, to these Trump supporters who did this, what is wrong with this? this is sickening, you know? Th- this is this is absolutely yeah. sickening. And now I'm learning. <laughs> look, clashing with the cops and trying to storm the building was one of the dumbest things they they could have done. 
And, you know, it is a relief to hear that, uh, you know, uh, this wasn't the result of a blunt force trauma, but it is still said, you know, this, this man lost his life. I can respect that. It was it was dumb to storm the Capitol, but we can certainly see the media and many Democratic politicians are trying to use the most extreme interpretations of what happened in order to gain power. Yeah, I mean, I will say, to be fair, it's also an issue with the Capitol Police who apparently gave this information and haven't given much since. But your job as the reporter is to make sure you've got it, make sure you've got it. Yeah. And I mean, of all people, the Daily Mail apparently got it by calling the guy's mom and saying, yeah, what I think I, I think a local outlet in Houston actually reported the correct information like a few days later and everyone missed it because, well, people don't follow local news outlets, which is unfortunate. Right. Well, and they're dying, right? They're dying is, yep. I mean, media in general is going so much more commercial. It's not a, you know, I, I still think there are people who think it's a public service and it's not, it's a commercial enterprise. They're there to make money. That was, believe me, very clear to me um, by the time I left Fox that there was one goal and that was to line the bottom line. And that's oh, true course. at CNN and it's true at M MSNBC. And people need to understand that when they're consuming their programming. Yeah. You know, I get accused of that a lot in the, in the work that I do, but I'm just like, I, I will talk, I, I, I disparage Trump periodically. Uh, I just give you my feelings. I, I, t I read the news and I give you my thoughts, my opinions and how I feel about things. There's a difference between, uh, you know, the, the three, I suppose. And, uh, that there's people who just will accuse you of being a grifter. They'll accuse you of just trying to make money. And I'm like, guys, I worked for Disney. I, I worked for the ABC News Univision joint venture. If I wanted money, I would have just said, tell me how high to jump and cut the paychecks. But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to work for a company that was telling me to lie. And so I had a contract. I tried breaking the contract. And when the contract ended, I said, have a nice day and good luck to you. I, I don't want with? to work. ABC Disney? So yeah, I worked for, um, it was called Fusion, which was the ABC News Univision joint venture. I actually worked out of the, in, I worked for about, a, uh, I think maybe a year in New York out of the ABC News building. And then I went to Miami and worked out of the Univision building. And they told me to, quote, side with the audience. And I, I said, what does that mean? Mm. You know what it means. Yeah. Uh, so when mm. we were covering the conventions, they said, yeah, yeah decide with the audience. And I said, okay, who's the audience? Young progressives. And I was like, uh-huh. Listen, I'm going to tell people the truth. I'm not going to tell them, you know, whisper sweet nothings into their ears. And I actually was told, I, I asked this question of one of the, uh, um, you know, higher ranking individuals at the company, like some of the highest ranking individuals. I don't want to avoid, I want to avoid maybe saying too specific, being too specific. But I said, if there is a factual news story that would be offensive to our audience, are you saying that we will not cover it? And they said to me, yeah, I think that's fair. And oh, I was like, okay, oh my goodness. I should not be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and I, I told the story over and over again, you know, so the, the information about who these people are and what they said, it's all out there. We were in a mm -hmm. big meeting with about, I think maybe like 30 or 40 people on our plans of how we cover the, uh, the DNC so, and the RNC. So this is actually the second time it happened where this executive was like, just side with the audience, you know, young, progressive, <laughs> liberal. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Well, Look, and it's like, well, why, happens, why don't we I'll try to it. broaden our audience? You know, I, I used to have these debates with Roger Ailes when I was a young anchor. And, you know, sometimes I'd do a segment he didn't like or it'd be, you know, something I, editorially he wasn't in love with. He never tried to stop it, but we talk about it. And I'd say, I want to I want to broaden our audience. You know, like he was like, why'd you go on Howard Stern? 
right? Because I went in Stern's show. I'm like, I want to broaden my audience. I, he's got a lot of young men who pro- may or may not watch Fox News. Why wouldn't I put myself in front of them and say, hey, give me, give me a chance. Maybe what you heard about me in the media isn't yeah. true. And I do believe that's how I built the largest independent audience in cable. And, and so, yes, maybe when I started off, I was inheriting a, an all Republican audience. But by the time I left Fox, my audience was the most diverse one at Fox. Wow. And it's because it's because I went after them. And I told yeah. the truth, you know, it's like, and then, and then for me, service of my audience was the truth, right? It, in a perfect world, all the goals align. You service them and you service the truth and it's one and the same. And, and I hear that all the time, even on this podcast, people write in the reviews, I may not always agree with you, but I trust you. I trust you to tell yeah, the yeah. truth. That's the hear, highest compliment you can pay you. I know, it's amazing. I hear similarly. To, to Fusion's credit, um, well, maybe not to their credit, but I was at a rally in San Jose. It was a, a, a Trump rally. I was outside. And I watched, I filmed as a, a, a mob of Bernie Sanders, m- many Bernie Sanders supporters. I don't want to say the entire group was, but I'm, mostly they were. And they smacked a guy in the back of the head with some kind of bag and it left him bleeding. I filmed that. Mm-hmm. And I had, I think it was Cavuto's show reached out to me saying they wanted to have me on a talk about it. Surprisingly, Fusion said, yeah, definitely do it. And I was like, you want me to go on Fox News? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's you know, promo. And I'm like, isn't the progressive employee yeah. base of this company. And, and so my understanding is early on when I first joined Fusion, they did not intend to be a progressive, ultra woke, you know, activist blog. And I guess for some reason they went that route. And I think that's what ultimately led to their destruction because they, they've ceased functions a while, a while back. At the time, I was like, yeah, I'll definitely go on Fox News. I'll talk to anybody, you know? And so I went on, uh, I can't remember who the host was. I don't think it was uh, Kavuto, someone sent, uh, filling in for him. But certainly many of the employees at the company were angry with me for doing it and started to say disparaging things about me behind my back. And I just mm. didn't care. I, I, I've never cared for like, look, you can believe what you want. I'm going to do my thing. And ultimately, that's just what I've been. So I left the company, started doing my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to be pressured well, or shamed into changing my opinions. Back to Tim in one second. But first, we're going to bring you a feature we call Asked and Answered here at The Megan Kelly Show, where Steve Krakauer, our EP, comes in with the question, and I will hopefully have the answer. What's happening, Steve? Hey, Megan. Uh, we're bringing a question today from one of our social accounts. This one came to us from Twitter. Uh, and Peach, someone named Peach, has a question for you. She wants to know, one of our favorite things about your new show is the way you're highlighting real women's issues. What advice would you give to a woman in their 20s in this current social climate? And what advice would you have given yourself if you could go back? Mm-hmm. Well, I talk about a lot of it sometimes on this show. You know, it's sort of most of it is the same advice I'd have for anybody. Uh, but especially for young women. N- number one right now, given the climate, do not lean into victimhood. Don't be an AOC. Do not lean into victimhood. Okay. As I've, as I've said that I tell my own daughter, life will deal enough actual victim moments to you. You don't have to make them up when they're not actually there. Don't borrow somebody else's worry or somebody else's victimhood, right? Like be strong. In fact, you should be trying to shake off the aura of victimhood whenever it does actually happen to you. Work hard. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Get to work. You want to be successful, work hard. Every single successful person I know works their tail off and they don't complain about it. You got to find something you love so that it's not too painful to do. But even if you don't love it, if you want to succeed, work your ass off and don't complain. Your boss doesn't want to hear your, your complaints about how hard you're working. And one other thing, if you have a problem at your office place, you can bring it to your boss, but bring solutions too. say, all right, this is my problem. Here are two proposed solutions. Okay. Um, and that's how you get ahead. I think also remembering that no one's coming to save you is very helpful. You have to do it. 
You want to change your life? Do it. Start now, today, tomorrow, no later. No one's coming to save you. Not a husband, not a friend, not a parent, not a colleague, no one. Your boss, if they haven't rewarded you with a big raise, they may not know you exist. They may have totally forgotten about you. It's not up to you to go in there and beg. Work harder. Get on the radar by being excellent, right? No one's going to come change your life. You're in an unhappy relationship. Get out of it. Go, go see a therapist. Go improve your life. Make yourself happier. Take a clarinet lesson. Do something crazy. My friend, Canadian Debbie, my producer and friend of the show, she's got three kids. She's up there in Canada. She's taking tap dance lessons. (laughs) There's no limit to what one can do. (laughs) Okay. Just the thought of it makes me joyful. But my point is change your life for the better. It's up to you. You can do it today. You think you're you're heavy. You got to lose weight. Stop eating so much. Start today. Cut out your afternoon snack. Just try to do better for God's sake. And, And by the way, for the young girls, if we're talking about young girls in particular, don't be a slut. Just don't. I'm sorry. Don't do it. It's not a slut shaming thing. It's just a better choice not to. All right. I'm telling you, your life will be happier if you don't make those choices. And when you do get into the sack with somebody, enjoy it to the fullest extent. Don't feel guilty when you're in there. It's an awesome thing to do and with the right person. And if you followed my last rule, see, don't be a slut. Uh, Even more reason to enjoy it. (laughs) So those are my thoughts. And as for the advice I give to myself, if I could go back, mm, girl, you do not need to dye your own hair. As, As dire as your financial situation may be, find a way to get to a real colorist. You should not let your boyfriend apply the Clairol to those roots <laughs> and, and they will not match up to your eyebrows. It will be very obvious. And when you look back years from now, there's no getting those moments back. You know, the, the good people at Legacy Box, there's certain things they can't fix. So <laughs> those are my thoughts off the top of my head. Thank you, Peach. Appreciate you writing in and anybody else who's got some questions can send them to questions at Devil May Care Media. More with Tim Pool next. As you know, I mean, everyone's so partisan now. And that what happened just recently was as as the Democrats are writing letters to the um, cable providers to like Dish Network and Comcast uh, saying, do you what do you what do you how do you see your ethical and moral duty when it comes to the product being put out by Fox News and Newsmax and OAN, right? Like it's basically like, right. you know, nice distribution network you have there. It shame if anything happened to it. Right? <laughs> right, so, right. Like what, what are you going to do about the about Fox News? Get rid of them. As they're doing that, you've got CNN um, actually basically removing its fact checker. There's this guy who was on the air. Apparently somebody looked at it, it was literally every other day during the Trump administration. Their fact checker. Oh, that's right. Of Donald yeah. Trump. He's gone. <laughs> I remember that. Guess yeah, how many t- his name is Daniel Dale. I never saw Daniel Dale. Right. My my crack EP is letting me know. Um, guess how many times he's been on since uh, since Biden took office once. And it was ch- it was to talk about Trump. It was to talk about Trump. Wow. And ch- fact checking him again. <laughs> like, you want to talk about disinformation, then let's talk about it. I'm shocked by the fact that there are people who believe this stuff, that they still watch CNN. You know, at, at a certain point, you have to be like, hey, maybe that's not correct because they keep changing what they're doing. The double standards are, are, are obvious. But people eat it up. Do you think the young people are switching? Because I think, you know, cable's always been an older person's game. You know, Ben Shapiro always used to tell me, if somebody under 40 stops me on the street, I know they know me from my podcast. If somebody over 60 stops me on the street, I know they know me from Fox News. Right. So yep. cable is an older audience's game. and I. I just 
do you have any data on who's watching you on YouTube? Cause I just, I feel like that's oh, probably a younger demo. I'm, I'm pretty sure I am crushing primetime cable in the key demo. So mm-hmm. I, I, I look at the ad, the, uh, the, uh, um, ad week, I think it's ad week. They do the, the, the TV mm-hmm. ratings for Fox, CNN, and I get in, you know, viewership across my, my, my podcast. So I have two different podcasts, but it's, it's, it's similar. I do about three hours a day, I think. And I'm getting maybe what's, what's the numbers 1.5 million per day. And it's, and 1.3 million are in the key demo. So that's between your podcast and your YouTube channel, your two podcasts and your YouTube channel. Yeah. So, so basically I have three different YouTube channels. Uh, two of them are, are similar where it's just me kind of talking for, you know, 20 minutes. And then we have the two hour long conversational podcast. Yeah. That's the one All, I listen to the Tim cast, right? Is that the Tim cast? That's when I download it. The, the one where we have a bunch of people talking is Tim cast IRL. And then I no, have, that's not the one, the one where Tim it's just Pool, me talking. Tim pool daily show is what I subscribe to. Yes. So that's just like my, uh, well, that, that's actually, yeah, that's two different YouTube channels compressed into one. So it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Used to be a lot but longer. But I listen I to it do, on podcast, so I get confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do like four hours or five hours a day of content. And then like, you know, I decided I got to, I have to expand the business. I can't necessarily do that. But yeah, I'm getting, uh, yeah, well, no, I mean, I want to uh, expand. I got to hire people. I want to do more shows. I want to create my own network. So uh, I'll need more time to focus on business stuff I couldn't do. But uh, my, 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 my viewership in the key demo, I think is like double what a lot of these cable uh, channels are getting. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm beating, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I, I'd have to check on Tucker's numbers cause he's, he, he's killing it, you know, but I think I look at like CNN and they get like half of what I get in mind you it's, it's per show. So like Anderson Cooper's total unique viewership for the day might be comparable to mine. CNN as a whole is definitely getting way more, you know, key demo viewership than I am just comparing like the amount of content I do to what they do is it's, it's probably comparable to be honest. Mm-hmm. No, I agree ra- with ratings. that. Well, and it's but I, don't like, any, I, mean, I don't, I don't have very many older people to be honest. So I'll tell you something else small. though. The, 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 the cable news boon that was Trump is over and those numbers oh, are only yeah. going to go down. I mean, that's just, he was such a gift to all of cable, including Fox. You know, I, I laugh because when I left, it was right at the beginning. It was before he was sworn in and people were like, Oh, the numbers went up after she left. I'm like, okay, with all due respect, I had the number one show in all of cable news when there was no news. So fuck off. Right. And, and secondly, everybody's numbers went up once Trump took office. So talk to me when you got a program during Barack Obama, the lean years. OK, yeah, he tr- Trump saved not only these cable companies, but digital news outlets and social media. Twitter was burning users. Cable TV was declining in ratings. And then Trump comes in and then just the Trump bump lit everything up. So what, so what do you do, Tim? Like when you, cause I mean, you, you, co- you go on YouTube many times a day, like you'll pop up there and you do it 10 minutes and you do 10, 20 minutes, and then you come back and then you come back. Like how, how does your day work? Are you just sitting there waiting for the latest news development? Then you're like, I want to talk about that. Yeah. So I wake up every day around 7am and the first thing I do right when I open my eyes is my, my, you know, I pick up my phone and I start scrolling through various news sources and news feeds. I have I, like my, my Twitter list is, is like, you know, a bunch of different journalists and news outlets, but also also I will also check some forums and then I get up, you know, daily morning stuff, shower and whatnot. Then just about uh, around eight, I now have a bunch of stories I've seen that I'm reading into. And then I'll just, you know, look at which one I think is the most relevant and interesting to talk about. Or, you know, usually it's really simple. I mean, there's, there's millions of stories all the time and a bunch of them I see, and it kind of like just, you know, lights a fire under me where I'm like, 
I start thinking a million miles a minute about what this means and what it is. And then I've got to express my thoughts on it. So then around, I, I record around 9 a.m. And I do uh, 20 minutes at 9 a.m. Then I record again between 11 and noon, another 20 or so minutes, usually like 20, 24 minutes. And then while throughout the day, I'm, I'm covering, you know, I do a recording that gets published at 10 a.m. and gets published at 1 p.m. I'm also pulling up what I think is the bigger news of the day, which I publish at 4 p.m. Then I take all those segments, I, I bundle it up as a single podcast for you know, iTunes. That goes live around six. And then at seven, I am upstairs in my secondary studio with our, new, with our guest that we've flown in, ready to talk about all of this with, with a group of people and have a conversation for another two hours. So, wow. And then I go to bed around uh, maybe midnight, wake up at seven, do it again. There was a period where, you know, you mentioned YouTube was like, this guy does six per day. Yeah, I was doing uh, six segments. So it was uh, 10, 1 p.m., 4 p.m., and then 6 o'clock, 6.15, and 6.30. And oh then, I was doing, then I was doing two hours again at, uh, at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and throughout the weekends as well. So it was just like, you know, at a certain point, I was like, you know, if I had a few more hours per day, I could focus on actually expanding, hiring people, creating a, an actual network instead of just talking a lot. And so I decided, you know, I, I, I got rid of the six o'clock segments, which were each 10 minutes long. And that's opened up a couple hours per day. And then I stopped doing weekends because I couldn't even go to the bank if, you know, I'm working right. that much. So well, that's, what, that's, some my, time. that's my next question. What do you have a social life? Are you married? Do you have a significant other? Like what, what's happening in the social life? Yes, uh, I do have a significant other, um, not married, but I, 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 you know, I normally, I never bring this up because one of the biggest fears is that people are going to try and figure out who she is and what she does and cause problems. And so I just, I just don't say anything. And I, I kind of just let the left, you know, these people who really don't like me, I, I don't like to say the left because, you know, a lot of, a lot of liberals, yeah. moderates, you know, are fans, but these, I know, these, we, don't you know wanna, more... we don't want to sweep people like crystal ball into that, you know, like they're, yeah, they're wonderful amazing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's like a short form of describing the unreasonable. <laughs> but they like to, you know, I, I, I don't take photos. I don't post photos. I don't, you know, there's, there's not Instagram photos of me and, you know, my girlfriend or anything like that. Because I don't, I don't want to cause uh, harassment because they'll definitely do it. You know, they're just people who hate me, be it, I don't know, the, the far right or far left, whichever mm -hmm. they are. Because there's certainly a lot of, you know, far right individuals, whatever that necessarily means. But they, they don't like me. They're not, you know, far left. And so I, I kind of avoid that and just, it, it makes me laugh every time I see these people trying, trying to attack me as though I have no social life and no friends. And I'm like, I just don't post that stuff because- I just don't share it. I mean, I've, I, I've got people harassing my, my former business associates. They, they, they seek out this information and it's just a, a, it's, it's a part of life when you have a large following and you're a public figure. I'm sure you probably get similar stuff to a worse degree. So I just try to keep that stuff as, as private as possible. But long well, story short- that's smart. Well, we're, you know, we're planning on doing a vlog around the production studio. I've, I've built a skate park and a venue. And, you know, once, you know, it gets warmer and things lighten up, we're going to be doing shows and events to limited audiences. And so I think people will start to see a lot more behind the curtain about, you know, what's going on. I think people just want me to post on Instagram so they can see the social life stuff. But I just don't really do it that much. Where, where are you based? I know you're from Chicago. Top secret. Uh, it's, it's basically just outside the D.C. area. Okay. All right. So you got to a little bit warmer climate and uh, you're in the heart of government area, at least now, which is like yeah. full of a bunch of stiffs, but um, some nice people and, and a lot of news. Um, you're only what? How old are you? 
34. I'm, I'm about to be, uh, uh, I'm about to turn 35 in about a week or two though. Oh my God. So you're, you're a babe in the woods. You're just, you're going to be dominating babe. the media landscape for a long time because you're so smart and you're driven and you're fiery and you're willing to work hard. All those things are good. What's your main source of enjoyment? Is it, is it skateboarding still? I know, I know you're big into that. Yeah, I've been skateboarding for 22, 20, 21 years or so. And uh, so I still skate every day. So I, I've got the skate park, but I also play music. I actually, I, I love this. I recorded a song and um, my friend Nishra Alman produced it. It's called Will of the People. And we put it up just before the election. So I've been, also been playing music since I was probably six or seven years old. But I, I, I was really humbled because a bunch of people who hate my guts were posting the link to mock me. And the responses from these people who hate me was, man, that's actually, you know, a banging song, though. Like, that's really good. And, uh, uh, you know, so I've been playing music. I've been skateboarding longer than I've been doing any of this. So, I, I, you know, I got to be honest, my main source of enjoyment is complaining about things on the Internet. Aside from that, hanging out with my friends and skateboarding. Sometimes and, you, know. you do get surprised. I mean, I follow a lot of people on Twitter whose views I do not share. You know, like there are some very woke activists, BLM you know, sort of crazy far left positions on certain things. And I follow them because I, I like to get differing viewpoints. And sometimes they'll tweet something about their personal lives. And if I move by, I always like it. And I'll notice they'll like stuff I post that's, you know, more personal. And I love that. It, it, it restores my faith in humanity. They know I'm not with them on those woke issues. And I know they're not with me where I stand. But when I see a like from, yeah. from one of these folks or I give them one, I just, I feel like, okay, there we are. Like, we still see yeah. each other. We can fight a yeah. lot and fight for what we believe in, but we can still see each other and in, in each other's humanity. There's a, a, a guy I've known for a long time on Facebook, and we used to argue all the time because he's more progressive and I'm heterodox, whatever you want to describe it, but we certainly got yeah. into arguments. But, but we agree on so much. And that's the thing. I was like, we spend too much time arguing on the things we disagree with. So now I try to make it a habit of, you know, when I see socialist or far left or progressive, you know, Twitter accounts, I'll just say something nice. You know, I'll, I'll you know, I'll try to. And I'm, I, I've been doing this thing on my podcast where it's almost uh, partly in jest, but I tell people like, say one nice thing about Antifa. And th <laughs> I, I, it's, it's funny because everyone's like, don't make me do that. And I'm like, well, here, here's the point, right? She's, a, she's, a, she's a lovely wife to Uncle Tifa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. That's right. sorry. <laughs> so, but no, I think, you know, I, I think, if we if we keep our like our political rivals, I don't want to say enemies, our political rivals in our minds as villains who are unredeemable, that's just you're you're never going to solve your problems if if you approach things that way. I know the other you know tribes or whatever whoever are con in conflict won't necessarily agree with me, but I thought to myself, look, well, I certainly think these people are misguided, and I think they, that many of them are violent. I think we need to make sure we recognize them as people. And we need to recognize that they're being driven by some kind of idea that they've been given, whether it's right or wrong. And we need to figure out how we convince them to stop burning things down and breaking things or to at least compromise and, and you know, chill out on the violence mm -hmm. and maybe figure out how we move forward without hurting each other. And that starts by just saying one nice thing. You don't got to say they're the greatest in the world, but you can be like, well, they're passionate. You know, that's nice, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I just try to I, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can simmer things down. So. You know, I'll tweet at some of these democratic socialist types. Some, some, just like, like, you know, there's, there's a one progressive who announced that he was uh, about to break half a million YouTube subs, and I said, "Wow, congrats, you know, congrats, bro." And then everyone hates on me and they treated me f you, and I, I ignore the hate. And they I were like, "Screw nice you, thing. that's the wrong pronoun, Tim Pool. You're banned." 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, 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 they immediately I got inundated and I told a friend of mine who is a more center right. I said, I think the right needs a meme where you just say compliments to the left because it, it, it does two things. One, it, I think it really can help to kind of simmer things down and we don't want to perpetuate this. You know, Twitter is a really awful place where everyone's mean to each other. But I was like, think about the results. If, if you decide that you're going to be polite and nice to people and, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. By all means, criticize. By all means, you know, uh, challenge their politics. But do it in a nice way. Then let regular people assess. When they see this Twitter thread and you're like, with, with, with the utmost respect, I appreciate your work, I do disagree. And then they respond with F you, you, you scumbag. Well, then let regular people see what they have to offer and then let them decide which they would, you know, which idea they would rather be by or which person they'd rather be by. I think being polite, being respectful, is going to win way more friends and allies than being a nasty person. Yeah. in, in on Twitter and IRL, as the kids say, <laughs> you know, like yeah, definitely. both areas. Well, listen, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I admire you and your journalism. And I'm learning a lot from you as somebody who's much more new to this independent media digital world. I'm I'm learning as I go. So I'm just going to follow your example, though, not work quite as hard. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't. I don't understand why people aren't working so hard. I'm just like, do more. I don't get it. I you have know? a Whatever. lot That's of years. I have a lot of years and a lot of kids that make it kind ah, of okay. impossible. <laughs> but, you know, I, I here's the truth. You're either a hard worker or you aren't. You know, my problem is like, so this is a, a, a one to two hour, sometimes three hour show. And I prepare for each one like it's going to be eight hours. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I click on every link. I watch every podcast. I read as much as I possibly can. I've got a great team that gets me prepared for these interviews. And then I just let it marinate and sort of think, what do I want to ask? What's interesting about this person? So I overprepare, right? It, like I, yeah. I'm sure there's some people who get an outline in front of them. They go out and they do it and it's over and they don't really think about it much. And I did learn pretty quickly after I became both a mother of three kids and an employee that something was going to have to give and that thing could not be my children, you know? So you'll find definitely, out definitely. when you marry the girl and you have the kids many moons from now, it's going to be just down to the Tim cast and one YouTube show and you're going to be rolling in big bucks. So it won't be an issue. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about that in regards to if, if I only make shows that are just me, or, or here's an easy way to put it. If I died tomorrow, my employees are in serious trouble. So <laughs> I need to figure out how to, you know, the ideas behind what I do and the work I do needs to be able to be given to other people and to an entity beyond mm. just me. So mm. I'm, I'm worried about the censorship. I'm worried about the lies in media. And I'm really kind of disappointed that, you know, we had this really funny story where Elon Musk gave a comment to the Washington Post. He said, give, give uh, my regards to your puppet master. And I, everyone laughs. And I'm like, sure, but can't the second richest person in the world throw a couple million dollars towards starting a news venture to give legitimate mm -hmm. news? And it's, yep. it's, it's, I wish I had the billions, but uh, I certainly have a lot of uh, uh, you know, audience members who are helping support my work. And I'm going to put that money into somehow creating something that's going to do that hard work. Don't have the same resources as Elon, but we're going to do it. If there's one good thing about the the insanity that has come over our country this past year, you know, corporate America and sports and media and Hollywood and all of it and the woke nonsense and the intolerance, it's that I think it has motivated some deep pockets on the other side to start fighting. Get off of your doughy butts and fight, right? <laughs> like this is, we're yeah. losing the country and it's the time to just be quiet and pretend you're completely PC and in favor of all the right causes is over. 
You know, they're indoctrinating children to become little woke warriors. And the first person they learn to hate is you. So uh, there is a silver lining, I think, to the nonsense. Yeah, I had uh, an interesting family breakfast a year or so ago with my niece. And I was explaining to my family critical race theory and the, you know, the equity versus equality stuff and why it's insidious and the, and the problems that come along with it. Certainly, I understand the good intentions behind wanting to end racism, of course. And so I showed this image to my, my sister and my mom, which is, you, you may have seen it, it's three people watching a baseball game behind a fence. And it's like equality. Everybody gets one crate to stand on, but then the small person can't see. And so they say equity is giving two crates and taking from the tall person who doesn't need it. And my niece said, she goes, oh, I've seen that. They taught us that in school. And she was like Mm. nine. And I was like, they're teaching you this stuff in school? She goes, yep. And then I tried explaining to her the problem with it. I said, when they they talk to you about critical race theory, you can't actually quantify how, uh, like mathematically, race and access to resources. We have a sort of general feeling based on history and, and, you know, uh, I mean, civil rights law and things like that. But how do you, look, you can say, I will take one crate from a tall person and give it to a small person. But when you have two poor people and one's black and one's white, how do you quantify who deserves extra resources or access? You can't do that. So it, it really was scary to me that I, that I saw, you know, my, my niece was nine, already being indoctrinated into this, uh, I mean, I call it a cult. I call it, uh, I call it the, the cult or the woke cult or the uh, dogmatic left. And I think, mm-hmm. as we've seen from the mainstream media and their opinions, it's spreading, it's getting stronger. Joe Biden has announced he's going to be bringing it back because Trump, you know, had that executive order doing away with it. This is the kind of stuff that that really freaks me out. And, you know, I, I did get mocked quite a bit, uh, playfully, by my audience for re- talking about my my family and, you know, being mixed race, being part part Asian, because my family actually experienced the the hate and the discrimination. My, um, you know, I don't want to get too personal, but, you know, my mom grew up before civil rights. She was a, she was a little girl. And then it was only once she was, uh, you know, I think 10 or 11, the laws actually, uh, you know, the Supreme Court actually had their ruling. And so I, th- I find it fascinating that the things my mom described to me and the things my, 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 my grandfather described to me with these, these you know, the way things used to be is exactly the way the woke left is trying to make them again. And so I had to question why it was, you know, we recently saw California tried to, they tried to revoke their civil rights provision from their own constitution that protected yep. people based on race. Uh, why they would do that, it's, it's scary. And so I see, I see this effort to make everything about race. I think these people are just racist and they want, to, they want to use their race to empower themselves and they happen to be white. So call that what you want. But when a bunch of white progressives show up in Atlanta and burn down black businesses and then claim they're the heroes of, uh, you know, uh, of, of fighting racism, but want race-based laws while they're burning down black businesses, I have to say that, that sounds like white supremacists to me. That's right. And people need to be aware it's a lie. It's not true. And it's and it's forced on you to back back to our, the theme of our discussion by a dishonest media that's looking to line its own pocket and virtue signal so they can feel good about themselves. If million dollar anchors who don't have any of the same worries as most of America, but they can go to bed at night thinking, I'm a good person. Meanwhile, Kenosha burns because yeah. of the of the lies they've told. And on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though, Tim, it's been wonderful having you and I yeah, hope you come back you. and uh, I, I would love to join you from wherever you are uh, at any point on any one of your 40,000 newscasts. You should come out here and come on the, come on the show when you get a chance.
I would love to do it uh, anytime. Cool. But at that point, you will have to tell me where you are. Definitely. I'd love to have you. It'd be great. <laughs> I would love to do it. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget to listen to the show on Wednesday because we have got Janice Dean coming back on the program and man, are there updates about Andrew Cuomo. The guy's getting investigated by the FBI now. Little Janice, the meteorologist who Soledad O'Brien was like, oh, the weather woman weighs in. Guess what, Soledad? The weather woman is not exactly single-handedly, but pretty close responsible for the shitstorm that has rained down on this corrupt man in the past six months. Nobody else is giving this the time of the day, including you, Soledad, and your your buddies uh, over at the other networks. And Janice Dean dragged people kicking and screaming to the story of his corruption, which has now morphed into a serious sexual harassment allegation by a woman who's gone on the record and detailed what he allegedly did to her in writing. I'm sure he's denying it. We'll get to it. And we're going to talk to her about whether there's a real chance Andrew Cuomo could be going not just out of office, but to prison. All right. We'll get into all that on Wednesday. Don't miss it. JD, one of our top rated episodes from our our fall launch. And so she's back. You're going to love it. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. I live by routines, especially my same day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 